Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We talk a lot about vision here at Eastlake. And God has given us a vision. Let me just say, uh, for the record, this is not Troy's vision. This is not Eastlake's vision. This is the work of the Lord. And anything that enlarges Troy, enlarges the Eastlake, enlarges what we're trying to do. No, no, we're trying to enlarge the kingdom of God. And we're not trying to get people into our church. We're trying to get people into heaven. And that is our ultimate aim and our ultimate goal. So, um... Now, we talk a lot about vision because God has given us a vision. And we, it, the word that really sums that up is multiplication. And uh, we want to multiply. When you bless one pastor, you help a hundred or a thousand people. When you raise up one little kid to make a difference in this world, that little child can grow and influence hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in their lifetime. My brother Jeff, who's here this morning, gave me this quote the other day, and I love it. It wasn't original with him, but he said, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. And everything we do is a seed. And if it's a child, a child is a seed. And you never know who that child is going to influence and how many people the child is going to lead to Christ in their lifetime and influence for that. And the same with pastors. It's why we raise up leaders. It's why we plant churches. It's why we do what we do. It's called multiplication, multiplying believers, leaders, and churches. We defined multiplication earlier this year as the supernatural inexplicable expansion of the gospel and the kingdom of God in this world. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm longing to see. That's what I really long to see is the supernatural, inexplicable expansion of the kingdom of God. I've, I've been around the church long enough to know, you have as well, that, that uh, with a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of excitement, you can kind of grow your church and you can have lots of additions. You can add a Sunday school room. You can add chairs in the sanctuary. You can add a few things. And and that's all well and good in its proper place. But just rest assured, even though we're adding 56 or 54, I don't even know how many square feet it is, 1,000 square feet down the road, even though we're adding that, it's not about that. It's about the men and women who come to church and school and planting and all that we do, leaving here to make a difference somewhere else for the sake of, of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and only God can do the supernatural, right? You're, right? you're with me this morning? You're sleepier than the 8 o'clock crowd. Are you with me this morning? Only God can do the supernatural. Only God can do what is on it. And, and, I, and, you can't, and I can't manufacture that. And we can't manufacture that. We can't, we can't create that in our own strength. And so we have a vision. We have a vision to have a campus that will serve as a wellspring from which the gospel and the glory of God will go from here around the world. The vision would be, could be described as work that we do. When you're, when you're doing the Lord's work, it is work, right? It is serving the Lord. It is, it is working for the Lord. It is stuff that we must possess and build. It is people that we develop. And it's impact that we desire to have for the sake of the gospel. And so those four things can consume a lot of our affection and attention and, and, and focus. As a matter of fact, I, I'm not, it's not strange for me to lay in bed and em, envision those four things. I envision the work that we're going to do. I envision the people that we're going to develop. I envision the stuff that we're going to own. 
my, my favorite joke around here is I envision having my own bathroom in my office. It's like this, it's like a dream. I envision the impact. I really do. I, I envision it. But amongst all of this, as we're remen- rem- reflecting on all that God has done the last year, this month, as I told you last week, I began to say, Lord, what do you want to talk about? And the Lord said to me to say to you, and he said to me, you tell them about me. Not me, about it. The Lord, right. The Lord wants us to keep our eyes fixed on him. I remember as a high school kid and then again as a college kid, I was in a performance choir. Don't think too highly of that. It was slim pickings, you know what I'm saying. But I was in a performance choir even from ninth grade, all through high school and some in college. And, and, and they were pretty intense about it. In my childhood and my upbringing, it was pretty serious. It wasn't like a bunch of kids up there opening their mouth and yelling. In the church world, in the church culture I grew up in, I mean, at ninth grade, we were doing cantatas with four parts and large things. It was, it was a pretty intense situation. But here's what I remember about that, was that our director, who was a great man, and he was a great director, and the, one of the reasons why he was a great director is he, he was very, very anal about it. Anybody here ever been in a performance choir? Just raise your hand. Any kind of, I'm not talking about Broadway. Trust me, I wasn't either. I'm talking about... You were in a school or... Here's what, my, here's what the director was adamant about. You guys look at me. You may remember that. Anybody here ever led a choir? And you want to know why that you want them to look at you? And, and we were ninth and 10th grade. And so, you know, you're, at a, you're in a performance and at a church or at a concert or an event or something. And you know, hey, look, there's Johnny Joe and there's girlfriend Sue and there's mom and dad and there's grandma. And, and they're just like, no, you look at me. The, the, the choral conductor knew that the only way we could succeed and crescendo when we were supposed to crescendo and, and decrescendo at the right time and to stop when we, and, and all of a T came to the same T and not And all the S's were not and do everything with precision and excellence. He knew the only hope of that happening is if we kept our eyes focused on him. I remember one time in a high school uh, church service, we were singing in this concert at this church in the center aisle, uh, which we're too liberal. We don't have a center aisle, I guess. But anyways, that old church had a center aisle, and, and a lady got up to leave, and her dress was sort of tucked up <laughs> in ways that dresses aren't supposed to be tucked up. I don't know how it got there, and I don't know all the details. I just know at 10th grade, it was awesome <laughs> in church for something like that to happen. And so his, he's there, his back is to her, and we're all looking and laughing. He's like, you look at me. <laughs> and the point is, amongst all the singing, and no matter how blessed the people are, or how encouraged or excited the people are, he knew that our success or failure hinged on our focus on him. Can I say this morning that it doesn't matter what's going on around us and all the buildings we're building and all the ministries we're expanding and all the things that we're getting involved in, that our success and failure will totally depend on our ability to stay focused on Jesus. And so during this month, we're talking about this matter of seeing him and, and, and having our mind on him. Amongst all that we see unfolding before our eyes, it is most important that we maintain a clear view of God Almighty Our wonder and all must always be about him, not us, not our abilities, not our accomplishments. 
So we looked last week at the, the book of the Revelation chapter 1 and we saw John's revelation of the Lord Jesus and what a beautiful story and picture and truth that is for us. I want us to go to the Old Testament this morning and look at another familiar vision that one had of the Lord found in Isaiah's prophecy. A familiar passage beginning in chapter 6 verse 1 where Isaiah saw the Lord. Let's read it. Let's talk about it and let's see what the Lord can speak to us this morning through His Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. I want you to really get get this as we read it. I, I saw the Lord, His train filled the temple. Above the Lord stood the seraphim, plural, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Imagine that that being. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. These angelic beings, these seraphim, were, were powerful so much so that when they spoke, the, the, the building shook. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. And the Lord said, Go and say to this people. And he gives him a prophecy to speak. One thing is for sure as we look at this story and we learn is that seeing and experiencing, I want you to hear this, seeing and experiencing the power and the nature of God for ourselves is a prerequisite to service for the Lord. Seeing and experiencing the power and the nature of God for ourselves is a prerequisite to service for the Lord. And amongst all that we're doing, and we've got plans and dreams and ambitions and visions that we believe are from the Lord, and we want to do great and mighty things for the sake of the gospel, but in order for us to be who we ought to be and be able to accomplish what we ought to accomplish, we as a church must maintain a clear transforming vision of God Almighty. Our hearts must be fixed by faith, not on us, our abilities, or our stuff. Our hearts must be fixed by faith upon the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything we can ask or think. If I have one, if I have one uh, uh, apprehension about the future of Eastlake, it's, oh Lord, don't let us get our eyes off you. 
If we were to take the time this morning and share in just a congregation of this size, we could, we could tell hundreds of stories about men and women, individuals, families, churches, institutions, schools, who started well, had ideas, did well, got their eyes off Jesus, and made shipwreck of their life. Oh, Lord. And you say, Pastor Troy, what are you doing? Scaring us? No, I'm not scaring us this morning. I'm just preaching what the Lord has laid on my heart, and that is we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I want to begin with this question. Have you ever had a vision like that? What if I told you that the purpose of this sermon was for me to preach this sermon so that at the end of this sermon you could say, I had a vision like that? How many of you think I'm crazy? How many think I don't want me to do that? What would you think if I got up this morning and I said, hey, um, last night I saw this six-winged creature and I talked to it. You guys would be slipping out slowly <laughs> and saying, Pastor Troy had too much pizza before he went to bed. Or something worse. Can I say this morning that it is, it, is, it is absolutely imperative that we know experientially the living, powerful God for ourselves. Let's look at this this, this morning quickly. I want us to notice what Isaiah saw. In verses 1 and 2, we're not only told what he saw, but it begins with when he saw it. And that's important, so I want to mention that. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. We study history and scripture. We understand that King Uzziah, also known in the Bible as Azarias, he was a king that served from the age of 16 for 52 years. So he started as king when he was 16 years old. That's hard to believe. He was sort of co-king with his dad for a while. He served for 52 years. The scripture says it was about 790-ish through 740 B.C. when he ruled over Israel. The scripture tells us many wonderful things about Uzziah. As a matter of fact, in 2 Kings chapter 15, it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father had done. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, it says he sought God in the days of Zechariah. He understood the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord God, God made him prosper. We read about his power and his might. He was a very strong and successful king. He, he defeated the Philistines and other neighboring nations. We're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, he was an energetic builder. He was a planner. He was a general. It says his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. King Uzziah was a successful king. But here's the interesting part of this story, that King Uzziah's life came to a tragic end. The scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles 26, his heart was strong and it was lifted up with pride. You know what's tragic about this king? What is tragic is that he lived such a good life. He was such a good king for a long time, and yet he crashed and burned at the end. As a matter of fact, you study the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, you will find that in many, many, many cases, this is the story. They didn't end well. And this is the story with King Uzziah. His heart was filled with pride, and he went into the temple, and he usurped the authority of the priest. And he did what only the priests were supposed to do. And the priest rose up and the Lord struck his heart full of pride. With his heart full of pride, the Lord struck him with leprosy. And King Uzziah was banished and isolated and he died alone. 
And it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah had this experience of seeing the Lord. Now, you say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it's just the Word of God, and I'm preaching it to you this morning. And what the Word of God says is what I'm supposed to say, not what I think I'm supposed to say. Amen? But I said a few weeks ago that God is looking for men and women who will be exceptional and unique and different as spiritual leaders when the things in in this world are in crisis. And how many of us know this morning that the world we're in is in crisis? How many of us know this morning that the church of Jesus Christ, if we ever needed the church of Jesus Christ, we need the church of Jesus Christ today to hear the word of the Lord and say, here am I, send me. Because the world is a mess. In the year that King Uzziah died, we're told uh, that it was in this year, that it was that year that Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. I want you to imagine this. He was undoubtedly in the temple And Isaiah, in this trance-like, spiritual, epiphany state, the Lord pulls back the curtains in ways no one was allowed to see ordinarily. And, And Isaiah sees behind the veil, and he sees into the presence of God. He sees into the throne room of God. And in the year that King Uzziah died, he sees the Lord. And what's the Lord doing? He's sitting upon his throne. What was the Lord doing when King Uzziah was 16 and ascended to the throne? The Lord was sitting on his throne. What was the Lord doing when Uzziah's heart rose up with pride and Uzziah turned against the way of the Lord? The Lord was sitting on his throne. Did you know the kings of the Lord and the people of the Lord, they come and they go. But guess what the Lord is doing? He is sitting on his throne. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne One glimpse we need to get of God is we need to be made freshly aware of the sovereign power and rule of the Lord. In the midst of the craziest days on earth, if we have to have a clear picture of God, I pray that we would see Him on His throne. There are people that don't believe there is a throne. There there are atheists that don't believe there is a throne. There is no throne in this world. We're all to ourselves. Humanists believe they are on the throne. But I got news for you this morning. God is seated upon his throne this morning. Amen. And guess what? When Obama was president, the Lord was seated upon his throne. And I know it may disappoint some of you because you love him so much. But when Trump is president, the Lord is still seated upon his throne. Amen. And you don't know some church, we need to not forget this and we need not lose sight of this. We need to see the power and the reign and the sovereign leadership of the Lord God over this earth. We serve a God who is seated upon his throne this morning. Amen. Amen. Whenever in the scripture, it seems like almost everyone in the Bible who had a vision of heaven, they speak about God's throne. The prophet Micaiah saw God's throne in 1 Kings 20, 19. Job saw God's throne in Job 26. He said, I saw the Lord on his throne. David saw him on his throne in Psalm 9. The sons of Korah saw him on his throne in Psalm 45. Ethan saw him on his throne in Psalm 89. Jeremiah saw God on his throne. Ezekiel saw God on his throne. Daniel saw God on his throne. And the apostle John saw God on his throne in Revelation chapter 4. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I got really good news for us this morning. We serve the God who is on the throne. He's high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. His his garment flowed down and so consumed the place that no room for priest and no need for priest was needed. The Lord God was consuming all and in all. 
And pulling back the curtain, he saw the elevated Lord. He saw the robe of the Lord. He saw the glory of the Lord. And he saw the angels of the Lord. The scripture says he saw the seraphim. And it just, seraphim is a word that means burning ones. He saw the seraphim. They were angelic creatures with six wings. Two of those wings covered their face. Two of their wings covered their feet. And two of their wings were used to fly. Spurgeon says there's a good lesson in that. He said, we should, uh, he, he said they had four wings for adoration and two for energy. Four to conceal themselves and two with which to occupy themselves in service. And we may learn from them that we shall serve God best when we are most deeply reverent and humbled in His presence. He said adoration must always exceed activity. Did you hear that? Adoration must always exceed activity. They were covering themselves in humility and in reverence to God, but they had two wings left, and that's what they were serving the Lord for. He said, as Mary at Jesus' feet was preferred to Martha, and her much serving, so must sacred reverence take the first place, and energetic service follow in due course. I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw him sitting in his throne, high and lifted up. His, his robe filled the temple, and the seraphims were above him. Notice what, what, notice what Isaiah heard in this moment. The seraphims were speaking to one another and crying out in response to the presence of God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Obviously, the Scripture is anointed, inspired, and sacred, and holy writ. There's nothing in here by accident or by error. Everything in the Scripture is as it ought to be. And Isaiah heard the seraphim that were worshiping in the throne room of God. He heard their voices, and this is what they said. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can I stop for just a moment and say from my heart, one of the deep passions of my heart is that at Eastlake, we'll catch a glimpse of our, not only our powerful God who is seated up on the throne, but of our holy God who is, in, who is on the throne. It's no accident they said holy, holy, holy. You notice they didn't say love, love, love. That's some churches, that's some churches all their mantra is. They think God all He is is love. They didn't say power, power, power. They didn't say knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. You know what they did? They said holy, holy, holy. So, so what, 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 what does that mean? Well, some scholars believe that this is a reference to or some support to the Trinity. And that's just a comment that I give you because I read it this week and I thought it was interesting. And it could be Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. It could be. We know though that in Hebrew, uh, that in Hebrew uh, uh, language, intensity was communicated by repetition. And so they were, they were emphasizing something. They weren't just saying holy is the Lord God Almighty. They weren't just saying holy, holy is the Lord. But in the Hebrew language, intensity was communicated when you repeated it. And they were saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not just holy, but He's holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the foremost definition of God's character and the foundation for all other attributes. You say, Pastor Troy, what are you talking about? I'm, I believe this morning that, 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 that holiness is not something God does. It is the essence of who He is. 
I'm saying this because I want us to catch a glimpse of God. And I want us to know we serve the God who is seated upon the throne. But I also want us to know that we serve a God who is holy and righteous and pure. And that is the essence of who He is. I said a moment ago they didn't say love, 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 or power, 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 or knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Power without holiness is brutal. Love without holiness is perversion. Knowledge without holiness is error and falsehood. All of God's attributes are rooted in His divine characteristic, His divine nature, which the essence of is holiness. God's, 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 God's character, His nature, it's not, it's not one of His attributes. It's, it's the essence of it. As a matter of fact, and I just... Take a little side note here because it's, it's important to know we are made in the image of God. And we all, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that, does that mean God stood up and everybody else, does that mean God is this or that eternal? And there's a lot of different things that we can say that that means. I'll tell you what I believe it really means. Unlike animals and plants and other things, human beings were made holy. Human beings were made, we were made Holy. We were created in the image of God. We were holy. And then we fell into what? Sin, right? And what is the whole plan of redemption? What's the purpose of the plan of redemption? Make us knowledgeable? Make us powerful? No, it is to make us restore and redeem us back into a right relationship with God and to deal with the problem that is our greatest problem, and that is unholiness and unrighteousness and sin. We were made in the image of God. And listen, church, we got a lot going on. we got buildings to build and people to send and churches to plant and leaders to raise up and kids to educate and pastors. We'll be bringing in pastors in two weeks. Pastors from all over the country will be here and we'll be blessing and praying and, and helping and encouraging them and we got all that to do. But I hope and pray that Eastlake is always a church marked by a church that believes in the power and the authority of God who is seated upon His throne and a church that is committed to the holiness and the righteousness and the purity of God. You know, it seems in churches we get hung, I say hung up, it's probably not an accurate way to say it, but we want to focus on love. It's just love. Everybody, God God loves everybody, and God does love everybody. But that doesn't mean, God's love is unconditional, His blessings and favor is not. Did you hear me? God's love is unconditional, His blessings and His favor are not. And some churches over here, they want to focus on power. Who went to power of God? I want the power of God. And I hope I didn't come across as making fun. I want the power of God. But sometimes we get so caught up in trying to receive the power of God, we run away from the purity of God. And we've got other churches over here that are all about the justice of God. And, 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 you know, it's hellfire and brimstone every Sunday. Somebody says, well, that sounds like you this morning. Well, I'm just making up for the lack of energy that you guys don't have. <laughs> One guy said, man, I went to church. The pastor preached on hell. He preached on it so strong, he made me believe in it, and then he actually made me believe he wanted me to go there. <laughs> because it's justice, justice, justice. No, no, I believe we ought to preach holiness because out of holiness flows love and power and righteousness. You can preach the justice of God, but it was God's justice that put Christ on the cross because he is holy and he can't deal with sin. And Christ paid the perfect sinless sacrifice so that you and I can be in right relationship and we don't have to pay the penalty anymore because of God's righteousness. Holiness means a couple things. It means means separate and it means pure or clean. It's two 
Uh, you study these words holy and, and sanctification, and they really kind of have a couple primary definitions. One in the Old Testament, they use the term sanctify or to, to make holy, uh, to say in the temple, this, this, this piece of furniture, this inanimate object, this is holy unto the Lord, which meant that is to be separated and you're not to use that thing for anything except the purposes of God. It's holy. It's not morally holy. It's ceremonially, ceremonially holy. You understand? So, so God is transcendent. He is separate. He is above and beyond. He's, this, he's not just the best man. He is beyond mankind. He is holy. He is transcendent. He is separate. And holiness means purity and righteousness and, 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 and clean and cleansing. And God is pure and righteous all together. Amen. Amen. And he wants, and by the way, let me just throw this in for free. God wants us to be sanctified, which means he wants our lives to be set apart and used only for the purposes of God. Amen. We're like the candlestick in the temple. We're not to be using our bodies and our lives for anything that doesn't bring honor and glory to God. We're holy. We're separate. We've been set apart for the purposes and the glory of God. That's good preaching if I'm the one doing it. And God can make us clean. He can forgive our sins and cleanse our hearts and change us from the inside out. He can do that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Notice, and I hurry to a close, notice the impact this vision had on Isaiah. Notice he was impacted by the character of God. We've talked about the power and the holiness of God. It was revealed to Isaiah just who God was, and he was made aware of the beautiful, powerful nature of God. He said it this way, my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. He was never the same. He was never the same. If you go to the car dealership to buy a new car or to just kill some time after a Friday night dinner, bad idea. That salesman, and, and he's, it's a good thing because I probably got salesmen here this morning and it's all right. You want to do one thing. You want to get them in the car and have them drive it. Sure, take it, take it, drive it. Why? Because they know if you ever experience it, you'll probably sign the paperwork. And Isaiah, Isaiah experienced the God that was calling him into his service. He saw his power and his might. He saw his glory. He saw his righteousness, his holiness, his purity. He saw him. And he was impacted by the character of God. He was convicted by his own sin and need. When Isaiah saw the Lord, Isaiah immediately began to understand how desperate he himself was for cleansing in his own life. One of the sure signs of spiritual authenticity is a keen awareness of my own shortcomings. Did you hear that? One of the sure signs of spiritual authenticity and maturity is a sure sign, a, sure, a, a keen awareness of my own shortcomings. You see, he really did see the Lord. He really was being called into the service of the Lord. 
He really did have an authentic relationship with the Lord. And he really was aware of how much he needed the grace of God. The longer you serve the Lord, the more you grow in your faith. It will not ever lead you to a place where you become high and mighty and greater than others. As a matter of fact, I think the more mature we come in our faith and the more sanctified we are in our walk with the Lord, the more we're going to understand I need to be gracious towards others because God has certainly been gracious towards me. Amen. He was convicted. He was attracted. He was attracted to the will and the purposes of God when he saw and heard and repented of his own sin. This is a beautiful thing. He saw the Lord. He repented. The angel took the coal and touched his lips and cleansed him and removed his guilt. And then the Lord said, I wonder who I could use to do something very hard. And what is Isaiah's response? Hey, use me. Here am I. Use me. I want to do the work of the Lord. Somehow we've got this mixed around. Pastor Phil, I don't know if you have this problem in California, but sometimes we have this mixed around that people feel like they're doing the Lord a favor by somehow serving the Lord and somehow the Lord ought to be really gracious, grateful for their blessing, blessed service. Wrong-o. It's my favorite quote. It's going to be on my tombstone, right? Wrong-o. No, no. The Lord said, I wonder who I could send to do something really hard. Send me. Will you use me, Lord? Because Isaiah saw the blessing and the beauty of being used by God to do the purposes and the work of God. He was attracted to what God wanted to do. Lord, here am I. He was a willing and an eager servant, not in his own strength. But you see, one writer said he had met the one who was calling him to serve. And knowing the character of God, he willingly gave himself to the work of God. We need men and women in the work of God who know the God who is calling them into the work of God. And he was, he was entrusted and uh, he was empowered rather and entrusted with the work of God. God said to him, go and say to this people. So let me finally close this morning as our musicians come. Let me just ask you this question again. Is it possible to have, to have a vision like this? No, I don't have a little uh, four-step plan for you this morning to go home, meditate long enough, drink enough green tea, burn some incense, and you'll have this experience. If anybody ever tells you that, they're nuts. Just run from them, okay? Leave the church. Don't pay your tithe and get out of there. But what I would like to say is that the vision of Isaiah, it seems so far away and so dramatic and powerful that somehow we, we often feel deprived. I've even had people say, man, I wish I, wish I, could, I wish I could see what John saw. I wish I could see what Isaiah saw. These biblical accounts of God revealing himself to man often leave us with a sense of deprivation. But I want you to notice something as we go this morning. And this is, the, this is really, really, really good news. That John chapter 12, John is describing something very powerful. And he says this about Jesus in the New Testament. He says that Jesus has done many signs before them, but they still did not believe in him. And then he goes on to say, Isaiah, John says in John chapter 12, Isaiah said these things 
because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And then in verse 43, but they have loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And what John is saying is Jesus is here. And he is the express image of the invisible. Jesus is the the throne-sitting God. He's the image of the throne-sitting God. He is the glory of the Father. And if you have genuine faith in Christ, you too can see the God that Isaiah saw. McLaren said it this way, and it's a little bit old-school writing, but I loved what he said, and I, I think it's worth reading. He said, Then Christ is the manifest Jehovah. He is the King of glory. The vision which was but a transitory revelation is now the revelation of an eternal reality and the vision splendid, Isaiah's vision, when instead of being flashed, does not fade rather, but brightens into the light of common day. And listen, when instead of being flashed only on the inward eye of a prophet, imagine this, instead of only being flashed on the inward eye of a prophet, that vision is now made flesh and he walks among us and he lives our lives and he dies our death Our eyes have seen the King in as true reality and in a better fashion than ever Isaiah did amid the sanctities of the temple. In other words, put your eyes, your faith on Jesus. This is better than what Isaiah had. You don't believe me. I can tell by looking at you. You don't believe me. You don't believe it. But can I tell you this morning that through faith, in the resurrected Jesus Christ who is the invisible in the image of the invisible God through faith in Jesus Christ he can totally transform your life from the inside out you say pastor Troy I, I don't get it well you know what this is this is my desire this is my prayer this is my aim this is my hope this is my de- the lord will as we grow as the church grows as we move down the street the church will be filled with men and women who have truly experienced life transformation because they know god for themselves through jesus christ and secondly through the work of the holy spirit paul gives us this beautiful word look at this in chapter 3 verse 16 of second corinthians when one listen he's comparing the old testament to the new testament when one turns to the lord the veil is removed. Verse 18, and we all, those of us who've turned to the Lord, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you know that through the powerful indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you too can experience this awe-inspiring God that Isaiah saw in chapter 6? And it's not just something that the Lord supernaturally gives to an Old Testament prophet so seemingly on a random occasion, humanly speaking, but now the Lord has poured out His Spirit upon all flesh that all those who have faith in Christ can through faith apprehend and possess the power of God in their lives. Listen, this is what we need to see and experience. We need new buildings. Yeah, we need new buildings. Yeah, we need a baseball field. If anybody wants to pay for that, by the way, come see me when we're done. We need to plant more churches, but we need men and women who've been in the presence of God through a personal experience of salvation. This is what we need.
us keep our let us always keep our eyes on the director. Let us always keep our eyes on the director. Church, church, I I pray with everything in me that that we never become a church filled with men and women who just like the Christian tradition. But that we're filled with men and women who know the God of the faith, who know the Lord of salvation, who know the Spirit that lives and reigns and supernaturally equips and enables. Oh God, let it be. Ben, let's sing that chorus that you've prepared for this moment. Let's stand together this morning, would you? Let's sing this together. For more information about East Lake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastLakeSML. Thanks for joining us.